A few months ago, an internet company posed this question on Twitter. I found it kind of helpful for our conversation this morning, so I thought I'd share it and a few of the responses. question is, what childish things do you refuse to give up as an adult? Think about that in your own life. What childish things do you refuse to give up as an adult? Number one answer, popping bubble wrap. Who doesn't like to do that? Like, what? Uh, Number two, lick the batter out of the brownie bowl. Guilty. Come on, somebody. Like, what? Who? Uh, Say jinx when you and another person say the same thing at the same time. Fun trick to play with your kids on the way home. Ask them, what's two plus two? And then when they're about to say four, you go four at the same time. And then say, jinx, can't talk until I say your name. And then see how long they can go. Don't ever say their name. And then uh, if they do talk, you get to punch them in the arm. And so that's, that's what we call a win-win scenario because either they're not talking or you get to punch them in the arm. Fun, fun times. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, number four, pretend the floor is lava. I just did that with my kids. Number five, arguable if I should have shared it or not, laugh at a fart. So that is fun. Okay. Six, settle arguments with rock, paper, scissors, which listen, that saved my marriage. Okay. So I'm never giving that up like that. You have to do that. And my personal favorite, number seven, eat lucky charms, but save the marshmallows for last. Yeah. That's like normal cereal eating habit. Uh, You can make the same case with Captain Crunch with crunch berries. You eat, you know, because your mouth's going to be assaulted when you eat the Captain Crunch and you save the crunch berries for last. But uh, I don't share that with you to imply that there's anything inherently wrong with any of those things. I mean, if you don't lick the brownie batter out of the bowl, I mean, you're probably a terrorist. So, like, you should be doing that. Uh, but I share it with you to point out that if that's all you do, like if you just sit around all day eating cereal and popping bubble wrap, you're probably not contributing much to society around you and it's my contention that that's not God's best plan for your life because I find it somewhat compelling that the Bible makes the case that when you were a child you spoke like a child thought like a child reasoned like a child but when you became a man or a woman you're supposed to give up these childish ways which is why these past few weeks together we've been in this series of messages called Adulting because we've got to learn how to grow up, not just grow old. There are some childish things that we need to get rid of in our life and grow out of. More specifically, there are some spiritual areas of our lives that need to develop and mature. For example, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about growing up in our prayers and in fasting. That There's a better way to pray than just before meals and before bed. And there's a spiritual discipline called fasting that you should incorporate into your life. And then last week, we talked about growing up in our purpose, that God does have a plan and a purpose for your life, and that you've got some desires in your heart, but God put something in your hand. And so you need to be looking at what you're already doing and figure out how those things can line up, that uh, you can figure out what's in your life and start using that for God, and God's going to bless that in whatever you do. And you can find any of those messages online. But this morning, I want to talk to you about adult contentment. This is arguably the most important conversation that we'll have 
at least from a spiritual perspective, because if you think about it, if you get this right, if you can get contentment right, you probably won't struggle with many other sins. Discontentment is the original sin. But I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to read for you a text that if you were here at Christmas time, it's going to sound very familiar because it's in Luke chapter 2 and it's about Jesus' birth. And you'll initially, after I read it, you'll think to yourself that I've lost my mind, that this has nothing to do with anything. But this is going to set the stage for something that is super helpful, specifically for our conversation about contentment. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open it up to the back. Just look for some guy's names. That'll be the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is how it will go. Then you need the uh, big number two. Luke 2, little number 25. It reads, At that time, about 40 days after Jesus' birth, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Important phrase. Salvation is for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Exclamation point. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result of this opposition, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. God, we're asking you now to reveal the deepest thoughts of our heart. Help us figure out where we're not lined up with you, how we can become more like your son, Jesus. God, we've come to hear from you, so do what only you can do and speak to us. Help us change, help us connect to the purpose that you have for us. And again, let us be one step closer to your son, Jesus, as we leave this place today. We ask us all in his name. Amen. In February of 2018, a teen who admitted to throwing fireworks into the Eagle Creek Gorge, which started a subsequent wildfire, he was sentenced to 1,920 hours of community service, five years of probation, and ordered to pay in restitution for the damages that he caused, $36,618,000. Three hundred thirty dollars and twenty-four cents. I personally would have rounded up to make it a quarter, but you know you're talking about thirty-six million dollars. You know who who cares about the pennies at that point? But uh, the male juvenile said he tossed the fireworks into the gorge while hiking on the Eagle Creek Trail in September of 2017, and he then subsequently apologized. But when you burn more than forty-eight thousand acres. I'm sorry only goes so far. How many times do you tell your kids that? I'm sorry doesn't take you back punching your sister in the face. Uh, The sorry can only go so far. So you should use this story from now on. You got $36 million, child? 
that don't do something dumb because you might have to pay $36 million. But the uh, restitution order says that the following organizations and people will be paid. You're going to get some money. Iris Shank, she gets $5,000. Allstate Insurance, because mayhem happens. Come on, so $8,111.44. Oregon State Parks, $31,550.90. $100,000 to Huker Properties. $168,000 to Trail Club of Oregon. $1,048,877.52 to the Union Pacific Railroad. $1,643.35.38 to the Oregon State Fire Marshal. $12,500,000 to Oregon Department of Transportation. $21,113,755 to the U.S. Forest Service. Now, if the teen, who wasn't named because of his age, if he cannot repay these millions in full, the court has said he can establish a pay schedule through the Hood River Juvenile Department. So for the next however many years that he works, he's going to be docked a certain percentage of his pay until he comes up with $36 million. Now, I thought to myself, what happens if this brother gets married? Like, is his wife getting docked some pay until he can, he can pay it all back? What if he gets a divorce? She coming up with half? How many of y'all heard prenup? Come on, you know, like I'm signing that. I ain't getting get stuck with $18 million because you were dumb at age 13 or something. Uh, the boy's attorney argued that the amount the prosecutors requested for restitution, that it was cruel and unusual punishment. That's unconstitutional. That was their defense, that he shouldn't have to pay this. The Oregon Circuit Court Judge, John Olson, wrote this in his opinion. Restitution is clearly proportionate to the offense because it does not exceed the financial damages caused by the youth. In short, kids going to have to come up with money. And here's what I found interesting about this and why I wanted to share it with you. Just a couple months after this story broke, the Federal Reserve of the United States conducted a survey and found that over half of Americans could not come up with a $400 expense. If something happened to you, your car broke, you got to go to... Uh, over half of Americans wouldn't have $400 that they could come up with. Nevertheless, $36 million. Now, in fairness, nothing that we talk about today is going to help you get $36 million. Okay, so you can forget about that. I might be able to help you get 400 but that's not the point of the message. Here's the point of the message. You might want to jot this down. The deepest thoughts of your heart will drive the ship of your life. That's what I want to chat about. The deepest thoughts of your heart will drive the ship of your life. Or to say it another way, what you think about now, you'll often have to pay for later. So it's happening with Fireworks Boy, isn't it? I think I'll throw this here black cat into that there canyon and see what kind of sounds it makes. Uh Uh-oh, that escalated quickly, 48,000 acres worth. Furthermore, if you trace this back in your own life, it's what happened with you too, isn't it? The deepest thoughts of your heart impacted your life? I think I'll try this smoke. I think I'll try this drink. I think I'll send that text. I think I'll explore this relationship. And we're married in our hearts. And this ain't hurting anybody. What's the big deal? And I can do things my way. Who are you to tell me? And then all of a sudden, an unwanted pregnancy later, a stint with rehab later, an STD later, a near bankruptcy divorce later, 
see what you think about now, you're going to have to pay for later. Now, what's this have to do with the passage we just read? You know, I told you you thought I'm crazy. What does this have to do with it? Well, Simeon prophesied that Jesus would be the one who would cause people to either rise or fall based on the thoughts of their heart. And Jesus actually confirms this repeatedly in his teachings. He, he says, uh, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery where? In your heart. And he, he says that uh, uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he quotes Deuteronomy and says, you need to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So he has all these teachings about your heart. And again, the deepest thoughts of your heart are going to drive the ship of your life. What you think about now in your heart, you'll likely have to pay for later. And so going back to what I said earlier, this heart problem is the original sin. This is what happens in Genesis 3. The man and the woman are discontent with the blessings of God. And the lie that they fall prey to is that you can be like God. But they were already like God, and so are you. Created in His image with value, worth, and dignity. But discontentment caused their destruction. And if you're not careful, it will cause yours too. Matter of fact, it's been argued that there's not actually a need for Ten Commandments. Only one is actually necessary. You shall have no other gods before me. Because every sin stems from the fact that you're putting something in the place of God. Every sin that you've ever committed comes from you being unsatisfied with what God has put in your life. Discontentment. I need this. God's trying to keep something from me. I know better than God. That's the original sin. It's a universal problem. It doesn't matter if you're single, married, divorced, widowed. Red, yellow, black, or white, rich, poor, old, young, in school, out of school, every single person, every human heart struggles with this. And there's no sign of it actually getting any better in our culture or otherwise. I read an article from a newspaper in London that essentially said, from the time you turn 13 until you're 40, it's just downhill in terms of happiness and contentment. It's a slow, steady decline. Apparently, 74 is the age when you have your best chance at being content, if you can make it there. 74. Considering the average life expectancy in this country is 78, a quick run of the numbers will tell you that you've only get 17 years of contentment from birth to 13, which at my age, you don't even remember anything then, so you can't really argue that that was helpful. And then from 74 to 78, you get four years of actually enjoying life till you die. And so that's not super encouraging. No, I know. Uh, but the good news is you can actually learn contentment. Between 13 and 74, Paul wrote in a letter to the Philippians that I have learned how to be content with whatever has been put in my life. Whatever I have, I'm going to be content with it. Which means, if he learned it, we can learn it. So listen to me now. If you can get this right, if you can figure out in your own life how to be content, 
And if you can teach this to your kids and to your friends and to your siblings, and if you can figure out practically how to be content and, and model this for your coworkers or your boss or your employees, I can guarantee you that the fruit of this is joy and peace and a stress-free life. Seriously, that's what's at stake for you. Joy, peace, no stress, enjoying life while you have time. So write this down if you're taking notes. My problem isn't what I don't have. It's an awareness of what I could have. Your problem, the reason you're discontent, it's not because of what you don't have. It's an awareness of what you could have. I think I thought, uh, I've asked this before, but anybody seen that movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy? Come on, like, okay, a few of you, good. You know what I'm talking about? This tribal people in Africa are perfectly happy with everything that they have until this pilot throws a Coke bottle out the window and they think that God sent it to them and then they discover something they didn't have and it causes all this strife and anxiety and stress and it's a comedy, but it's a very accurate portrayal of modern-day America. Because if you think about it, you were perfectly happy with everything that you had until you discovered something else. You were perfectly happy with your Timex until you discovered there's something called a Rolex. And you were perfectly happy with your iPhone 8 until somebody showed you the XR. And you were perfectly happy going out and starting your car early in the morning when it's cold, get it warmed up, and then you discover this thing called remote start and heated seats. And you know, I have to have this in my life. And I was just having this conversation with my wife the other day because I was trying to convince her to let me buy a new Traeger. That I want a Traeger Timberline in my life. And she was like, you already have a Traeger. And I said, yeah, but it doesn't do everything that I want it to do. It's old. And six months ago, I didn't even know I needed it to do something else. But I discovered reverse sear. Come on, somebody. You smoke it, and then you sear it, and then it's God's gift to humanity. Like the greatest steak you'll ever put in your mouth is done through the reverse sear. And so now you need the trigger to do that. And I hope you know that comparison will always kill contentment. And when you really drill down on that, you'll figure out how absolutely silly and ridiculous comparison is. How absurd is it that our entire economy is propped up by our discontentment? Literally every single company is banking on you, seeing a product, and believing that you need this in your life. And because we're convinced that celebrities are happy, and they would know what makes me happy, then I'll take their word for what's going to be happening and make me happy, and since the beginning of time, companies have hired celebrities and personalities to offer a product to convince us to buy it. Most recently, Shaquille O'Neal, for literally every single thing that you need to buy, this brother is sponsoring it. And 30 minutes ago, you didn't even know you needed Icy Hot or Papa John's or General's Insurance. But because Shaq told you so, then all of a sudden we've got to have it. And uh, it's like got to figure out in your life... Just because you could have it doesn't mean you should have it. Now, in that same breath, you have to hear me say that not all discontentment is bad. 
In fact, some discontentment is very good. Some discontentment has led to diseases being cured because somebody was get discontent and they said, I'm sick of all this sickness. And some discontentment has led to degrees being earned. And somebody said, I'm sick of getting passed up for the promotion, so I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my GED. I'm going to go to college. And some discontentment has led to weight loss and sports achievements and better grades and better living conditions because uh, what you cannot hear me say in this message is that, oh, God just wants you to be happy no matter what your circumstances are and you just need to accept your lot in life. Wrong. There's a difference between contentment and complacency. I have never read the word complacency in my Bible one single time. In fact, quite the opposite. God says you need to run the race in such a way to win the prize. You don't need to be complacent in life. So the question before us is, okay, how do I know the difference? How do I know if my discontentment is leading me away from God? Or how do I know if my discontentment is leading me towards God? Because there can be holy discontentment. And that's what I think Simeon was trying to teach us when Jesus is born. That's why he points out that the deepest thoughts of your heart will be revealed. See, the difference between your contentment and your complacency, it's in your heart. It's in your motives. If you're only making decisions for yourself and how you feel and how this benefits you, you're likely making the wrong decision. And the deepest thoughts of your heart are going to drive the ship of your life. So let me show you something else that I think will provide some clarity on this. A guy named Paul wrote uh, a memo to uh, his, his prodigy, Timothy, and he gives him this advice. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I'll read that again because this is a verse you should memorize. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, what is that? is literally God-likeness. That's how you can translate that word. God-likeness with contentment. Well, hold on. What's God-like? Oh, God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Or the most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son, Jesus. So, love. That's how you could think about that. Love, godliness. Love with contentment or self-satisfaction. You could think about it like that too. It is great gain. It is livelihood. It is joy. It is peace. Love with satisfaction, self-satisfaction, is what every person on this planet is looking for. He continues, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Which you know that's true. What's the old saying? Never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Well, yeah, because you are going to take nothing out of the world. Matter of fact, you're going to leave everything in the world. And the question before you that you should be wrestling to the ground is other than stuff, what am I going to leave behind? Because everybody leaves all their stuff. So when you leave, other than stuff, what are you going to leave behind? How about integrity? How about generous sacrificial giving? How about a spirit of service and generosity? How about a spirit of dependability? 
Like when people say, you know what, I didn't believe what they believed, but they were for me. They would be here every time, no matter what. I'll ask you this. Is your discontentment leaving something valuable? Or is it leaving something a decade from now that's just going to get thrown in the garbage? For we brought nothing into the world. You're not going to be able to take anything out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And here's what I really wanted you to see. Here's the connection back to Luke and to Jesus and to what's in your heart. Verse 9, those who want in their heart to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root, not the root. Don't misquote that. A lot of people like to tell you the love of money is the root. It's not the root. It's a root. There's a lot of roots. Money is one of them. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money in their heart, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, you, woman of God, flee from all that discontentment Pursue righteousness, God-likeness, love, faith, endurance. There's your complacency. Don't, don't pursue complacency. We're pursuing endurance, gentleness. You want to talk about complacency? Fight the good fight of faith. My words. Grow up. Don't just grow old. So here's what we know. We know... That one of the reasons Jesus came to this earth was to reveal the deepest thoughts of your heart. That's what Simeon told us in Luke. We know that some people will rise because in their heart, they'll acknowledge Jesus as Lord of their life. They'll surrender to what He wants. They'll understand that the thoughts in their heart are typically wicked. And they'll understand that the curse of God is to allow you to chase after the things in your heart. That's what the Bible teaches, that God will give you what you want. And then you're going to be like, well, freak, this didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to. That's God's wrath on you. So people will understand that. They'll rise because they know that the world can gratify, but only Jesus can satisfy. So they'll get people that will rise. But then there's going to be other people who won't acknowledge Jesus. They'll keep chasing after the thoughts of their heart. That's what Paul said. That leads to discontentment, which is why the thoughts of your heart are going to drive the ship of your life. Where's your ship going? To the destination you want it to? Because there's still time to change the course. And we know that most people's problem is not what they don't have. Most people's problem is an awareness of what they could have. So we need to do what Paul did, learn contentment. And here's where this comes full circle, because the secret to contentment is not choosing to be content. It's not saying, today I'm going to be content with what I have, and I'm choosing contentment over discontentment, and you've probably tried that, as I have, and it's failed. It doesn't work, because this is not a mental discipline. This is not working harder, pulling myself up by the bootstraps, suck it up, buttercup. No, this is a matter of replacement. You might want to write this down. Contentment is found by redirecting our objective. 
You have to replace those thoughts in your heart with something more meaningful. Contentment is found by redirecting our objective. Contentment is found by replacing the thoughts of your heart with the mission of God. In other words, if you want great gain in life, there has to be something in your life more valuable than stuff. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. God just says if you're going to have a lot of stuff, the expectation is that you're going to do a lot with your stuff. You tracking with that? Jesus told a whole parable on it. And the story is called the parable of the talents. That God's going to give some people a lot of stuff. And the expectation is that they do a lot with their stuff. And if you don't do stuff with your stuff, then it ends in you not enjoying stuff. You, you, you hearing what I'm saying? And so uh, if you're not going to be faithful in, big, in little things, who's going to give you any big things? So here's how I'll, I'll end our time this morning. You often hear me talk about getting in next and getting in a group and serving on a team and giving sacrificially of your income and discovering why God has wired and shaped you the way that he has. Because I feel like my job is to connect you to God's purpose. Because this is what I want for you. Great gain, joy, peace, satisfaction. I do not want something from you. I want something for you. There's plenty of churches out there where you can discover that they want to take your money and everything else that people think churches are about. Not this place. When you hear me talk about money, it's not because I need your money. It's certainly not because God needs your money. It's because you need to replace your money with God's mission. And when you hear me talk about getting involved with a group, it's not because I need you in a group. It's because I need you to replace your busyness with discipleship. When you hear me say that you need to serve, it's not because I'm desperate for volunteers. It's because you need to replace that desire in your heart to be consistently served with a God's desire to serve other people. This is all about your heart. Now, I could be wrong on that, but so could you. How many times have you tried to make decisions for yourself and do things your way and still think about and wonder, man, there's got to be something more to life than this. I came to church to tell you there is. There's great gain to be had. There's life to the full to be had. Come on, somebody. This is what Scripture is teaching. God's not trying to keep anything from you. Godliness with contentment, great gain. So do me a favor. Give me one year. Give me one year of your life where every single Sunday that the church is open, you come. And every available opportunity that there is to serve, you serve. And if you've never been through next, go through next. And if you're not in a group, get in a group for just one single year. And if at the end of that year, you haven't experienced great gain, I will leave this church with you. What do you have to lose? A year that science just said if you're between 13 and 74, ain't going to be that great anyway? Why not see what happens? Why not see if the Bible is right? Why not see if you don't discover something better than bubble wrap and brownie batter? It's worth a shot. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for making promises that only you can fulfill. 
God, you promised to reveal the thoughts of our heart. And those thoughts are either going to cause us to rise or fall. And God, I'm asking for you to put thoughts in all of our hearts that will cause each person in here to rise. As we're praying over what you've just heard, God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do and reveal to each person where they're falling short on this, that you have life to the full, that there's great gain to be had. But we have to grow up in our faith, not just live another day, but have purpose, intensity, intentional living. God, we want to think about the things that are from you and experience contentment in life. But we know all of that comes from your son, Jesus. Godliness with contentment, God-likeness. And we have to surrender ourselves to the will of Jesus. And if you haven't done that, you can do that before you leave. You can just say, God, I give you my heart. Forgive my sin. Give me a new heart because Jesus is alive and he's making all things new. God, thank you for that free gift of salvation that all we have to do is believe. It has nothing to do with what we do. But once we are saved, you've asked us to use these gifts, talents, and abilities that you've given us to bring you glory. And that's where we'll find joy. Help us in that end. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.